Welcome everyone to the Taifa Into Perspective podcast with Kelo, Leo, and George Bakena. I'm covering for Johannes, who is not so was supposed to be hosting today, but he isn't around, and I'm going to have to cover mediating between my two esteemed guests. One is the guild president of Makere University Business School. Uh, the current chairman, or should I say chairperson of the UID MOOBS chapter, and a fellow political activist, Robinson Ogong Aponyo. He's a, he's, a, he's a very active and vocal when it has come to the, the COVID pandemic and handling student affairs and mediating between the government or the, the ruling bodies and the students making sure that they're safe. And the other is Diana Nabimanya, a law student in UCU, a third year law student who is also a very, very vocal and aggressive um, human rights, women's rights and um, mental health activist, as well as a very, very intelligent person. So um, thank, I thank you guys for coming. Maybe you can say a few, you can say a few words to the guys who are listening. Just say hi. <laughs> and that will be edited out. This, this is just for the flow of the, the conversation. <laughs> uh, okay. Maybe it's fast. So. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> anyway. Uh, hi, friends. I really am not good at this introduction thing, but I'll just say hi, and I am very happy to be here with uh, the new president and Leon. And uh, I can't wait to share, really. I can't wait to learn from them and also share what I know. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Leon, for giving me this opportunity. Thank you, Diana, for accepting to as well be here. Uh, thank you for reaching out for my thoughts about what's happening in the country at the moment and uh, what we students are facing, given the current situation at the moment. And I would really love to have a conversation about this because to, to, to a bigger extent, every sector seems to be running and we are stagnant, we are stuck. We don't know where to start from, we don't know what's happening. So thank you. I hope we have a fruitful discussion. Okay, so as we all know, as students and maybe non-students, the effect of COVID-19 just as a pandemic, as a virus, as this biological weapon that's attacking us has thrown a spanner in our education and the effects are going to be seen not just now but later on in the coming years and from different aspects, I just want to know um, what kind of effects we are going to see in the short term, just from the virus, like the deaths, and then the, the ways that the learning has to be changed to sort of adapt with this, just with the pandemic alone. We shall get into the governance later, but we won't see the short, some short and long-term effects on the, from the educational point of view, how students are going to be studying and how it's going to affect employment later on. And, and those are just a few examples, but I'd want to know from Robinson um, how this is going to affect the students from an educational point of view. Uh, you know, COVID came in at a time when no one was prepared and uh, majorly countries that were prepared earlier on enough, like for, I mean, those who embraced digital migration, I should say, where they had to take everything digital, they have not so much felt the pain that COVID has brought in Uganda at the moment because for us as a country, we have been just down there following the norms. We have been having the culture over and over again. We have been following the same 
education system. So at the moment, we, we in Uganda here, we are going to first register a reduction in the enrollment in public institutions and schools. Given schools at the moment have to embrace online learning. And you know, online learning is not so inclusive for the African setting. For Uganda. This is a country that has a very poor network. This is a country that does not yet have a very good connection when it comes to electricity and distribution. And this is a country whose education sector to be a business sector that even government institutions tend to look so much into extortion than giving the services that they're supposed to give given the fact that we pay tax and some of these services are supposed to be given out but we are going to see a reduction in, in enrollment uh, to the students we are going to see a shift in the way we do things we i told you we're used to the traditional way of learning that you could come sit in the class the lecturer could come the teacher could come and do everything on the chalkboard but at the moment you have to sit in front of a laptop and therefore in the way we are going to learn and adopting to this kind of change will take us a lot of time as ugandans as students in the country and to some extent it will affect the performance of the students in the first lockdown we were subjected to zoom lectures in a class that i'm in that has about 400 or 600 students you would realize that only about 75 of them could attend lectures where are the rest of the students the students are not attending lectures and the same thing is again happening this year and we are sure covid is not going anywhere in the way the government is handling it covid is there will be a reduction in, in, uh, in enrollment secondly the change that we're not able to adapt to it will be dropped off uh, another one would be you know with, with covid at the moment there is so much that is happening we are losing these people and therefore since we don't even be in group discussions that we used to be having to strive for yourself and fight for yourself to make sure you perform there is nothing like group discussions because every time we try breaching this we are taken down by the COVID. so you have to give your friend your own things and at the end of the day you know, learning is not for one person you can't discuss easily if you want to have discussions on zoom or any other platform you have to pay for it on top of tuition that you're paying for so i, I think those are the major things that we shall see as students in the school okay in, I... uh, in administration the, the administration yes. the, what yes. are you saying about administration no, the, the administration as i told you earlier that most of the schools were not prepared for the digital Shaking the entire country at the moment. So the administration will have to spend so much into putting in place these infrastructures. Putting these infrastructures together to make sure they can fit in the system at the moment. And these the putting of this infrastructure gets down to the final consumer, and that's the student, in terms of tuition that they pay. We have been having these discussions around that we are paying more than what the school is supposed to be getting from us because we are now learning online. But at times, students should understand that putting that infrastructure in place to make it easy for you to learn online is very expensive when it's just a crash moment like this. But then the administration has to explain this to the students and everyone who would want to pull money and put it out. So it's challenging everywhere, both to the to the ministry itself because some government schools are supposed to be given to so it's a mess it's just a mess okay and I, I i really see that this is something that 
we, we just think of it missing a few years, but on the larger scale, everything is going to get a bit harder. So Diana, in for you, how would you how would you like describe the effects from a more personal scale? Like these students' lives, what is going to happen to them? And how are things going to change for the average Ugandan student and more likely the university student? And also from, I guess um, Robinson has talked a bit more about institutionally, how it's going to change. So maybe you can just talk to me about the students from a personal scale and then with students' lives in general, how everything is going to change for students in Uganda. Yes, yes, thank you very much, uh, Leon. <clears throat> so, uh, you see, the government tried, the government tried to strike a balance between uh, life livelihood. However, in a country like Uganda, where we, we are operating on a deficit budget and loans, these things are not possible. So, for starters, as we are a poor country, so people are struggling with that aspect. And by people, students are also people. So, uh, they are also struggling in that bit because not every student comes from a well-off family. So what happens when their parents can't go to work anymore? Most uh, most people work. The money they get on a daily basis is money they take back home to feed their family. And uh, now uh, that was just a general overview. But like on a personal level, personally, it has a mental toll on me especially given the situation at hand. First, there is confinement, so I have uh, a lot of time to see what's happening. A lot of it. And uh, at the end of the day, I'm seeing so many people losing their parents. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of red cases. I am seeing a lot of defilement. I am seeing, and these things are going, most of them are even going unpunished. Yes? And even though they try to punish, somehow they disappear along the way. So in the process, these things are eating away at me. They they really stress me because uh, the biggest problem for me is I'm not even able to really tangibly help these people. I could uh, advocate, I could tweet, I could post on WhatsApp, but I am not helping these people tangibly, and it's quite painful. And then uh, I'm looking at uh, a person who has not been economically affected, but uh, I know there are people who are not like me who are being economically affected. There are people who cannot even afford. We don't know what they're going to eat for supper because on a general level, Uganda cannot afford this lockdown and let alone students. And then there are students who are at campus. I know my friends who are still at campus who generally don't have where to go. They don't stay with them. They're surviving on their own. Now, such a student who does not have a source of income, a clear source of income, she's in her house, struggling, she has no food, she's not sure on how she's going to survive tomorrow. At the end of the day, you end up seeing so many students engaging in things that they shouldn't be engaging in because they necessity demands it. They need to be they need to eat, they need to sustain themselves. So there's a lot going on, but mostly the mental health issue and the issue of poverty, because if Uganda is not capable and they tell us of a relief and which we both know is a joke. So it's a uh, <laughs> for me. Yeah, yeah, I think I've got a really big picture of how far these effects will reach. And um, you've painted a very vivid picture. So I want to get into the next section of this podcast where we at length discuss what the government has done because there's some people who say hey it's bad but it could have been worse if the government didn't do anything but as we know with our government it's not that our government doesn't do things it just does them really badly so we want to know what the government did from March immediately was it March 18th when Museveni just read on, on the news that that there was a there was a lockdown and then all these students were now wondering what's going to happen to them what from then like uh maybe i can start with robinson what do you think like what tell us walk us through what the government 
the steps the government put it like put in place to kind of safeguard us. First of all, when was uh, moving around and we had not yet registered any case in the country, the president locked schools and every institution of learning. Uh, you said on the 18th of March in 2020, and uh, decided to send us back home. 15 million, if I put it right. And uh, well, had to make to make sure that the biggest percentage of the population that is the youth that is caught up in one place, all of them are in schools. Was so, but then that first variant that came wasn't it so much effective, but they, they, they made it a point to make sure that they are safe. Then, secondly, well, so much to have a continued government tried to have continued learning. Yep, you can hear me. The network is a bit shaky, but My we network. are hearing. Yeah, it's clear now. Okay. Um, the government tried so much extending, uh, doing whatever they could do to make sure that we continue learning. Some schools embraced uh, e-learning. We continued having lectures from home. I think some of uh, the facilities that we could access or put our hands on, and they thought of what was affordable. Uh, they also made sure the national tablets, like the newspapers, New Vision, was always having those packages for the students to go through. Uh, they, they were given an opportunity to reach out to the students in any way they could. They I had a sister who has been told on WhatsApp. Every time I mean, I mean a, a teacher could record an audio explaining a concept in our WhatsApp group. Government also talked of providing radios. I don't know where that ended, but at least it was an effort that at least would put us somewhere if it was taken up seriously. I saw on television. Uh, students were being taught even when they were home. But the question comes back in that of all these things that they did uh, to make sure learning was continuing, the provision of some of these things did not cover everywhere. Take, for example, I, a district called Liwa, and I've traveled to Kampala Lira to come and study. And Lira, say 100%, I could say about 60% of the district has access to electricity. Now, assuming 40% of the community that doesn't have access to electricity, but my friends are learning, how, how would I catch up? They, they talk to the radio stations, I mean the radio cassettes that they were supposed to distribute to people. And uh, as I told you, I don't know where this ended. I don't even think anyone received the radios. But uh, even if that was being done, you're teaching these students on radios, and the teachers who are teaching them on radios are not the very same teachers, but at the end of the day, they're going to be subjected to the same kind of exams. I give you an example like people who did UNEP when they went back after the first lockdown. Everyone was given the same paper regardless of where you were, regardless of whether you were attending lectures on the television or you just went back home and gave everything. They were all taken back to school and they were subjected to the same kind of examination. They were put in some of these questions and handouts that students could get or pupils could get. Can't reach. I will still give you an example of where I come from, Lira. Not everyone buys a newspaper. Actually, it doesn't even make sense to them. You can find like about 30% only are the people who buy the newspapers. So where are you? Of those who are not going to school, newspapers are there for them to read. 
با دستگر این حد ویدیت بچور دارم Where you go back and sit in the lecture room together with 100 people, 200 people, and attend the same lecture, yet this is an airborne disease. So the government forgot to put in the infrastructure to make sure some of these physical contacts were reduced. So they opened school, right? But we went back to the old system, yet the world has changed. A class that used to accommodate 200 people are supposed to be used by a half accommodating 100 people to make sure there is social distancing, but we went back and found everything the way it was. And so some of these, uh, the, the, the second emergence of COVID-19, I don't blame it on government, but to, to, to a lesser extent, about 30% of the blaming the government, but the 70% have been the failure of the public to understand that the world has changed, COVID has changed, how we live. People want to live normally. People want to do things the old way. And that is where the problem is coming from. If up to today you have young people who still have the guts to record a video telling the president to go and tell his own family to wear a mask and social distance for them, they will do whatever they want. They think they are doing this for the president. So, But, but I think, think the second wave of COVID coming through an attack is quite badly. Government forgot putting infrastructure that could fail a 15 million to the 15 million people. I think that is what I can say about that. Okay. We, we have seriously, like me as a MOOC student, I have seen this first time handled it the first time well but we went back to normal and things weren't supposed to go back to normal and we are paying the price for living normally when we should have changed but yeah. some of these changes were mainly supposed to have been implemented by the government because there's only so much that the people can do when the government exerts so much influence so there has been a lot of criticism that I guess everyone has, everyone can can see the handling of the not just the health itself, but also like making sure that systems have changed so that the same thing doesn't happen again. Because we all knew the second wave was coming. Every country before us had a second wave, so we knew it was coming. So from the side of the Ministry of Health, there has been a lot of criticism in how they're handling things as well as the ministry of let me say that gender it's there the one that's currently doing this evaluation of vulnerable people just talk about um diana did you to just expand that topic and tell us how the government didn't do what it was supposed to have done in the current time at that current time or even right now when it comes to health and people's rights. All right. So as I was saying, uh, Mr. Robinson has uh, already elaborated on the education and what the government implemented on that side. I'm going to elaborate more on the women and children. Now, this has been uh, a constant issue, an issue we have fought for, an issue we talk about almost every day. However, our government keeps talking about gender equality but the action, the involvement is still way too low. It's still way, way, way too low. In that, uh, you see now, let's start, for example, with a, let's start, for example, with a woman who is experiencing violence. Now, a woman who's going through violence 
let's say her husband is going to beat her at night, he starts beating her and she has to run away. In the process of running away, she's going to meet LDU, who are going to increase on the what? The beating. She can't run to police. She can't run anywhere because uh, she's struggling at that moment. Uh, and then I'm also looking at women, maternal care. For starters, we have only one RDC per district. And uh, people need to get uh, walking permits from these people. We need to get, you know, walking, yeah, walking and traveling permits from these people. But these people cannot be available every day. That means a woman who is in labor, who can't even plan for her labor because you never know when labor happens. This woman is going to struggle waiting for the RDC to clear her so she doesn't get beaten by the LD, the LDU rather. And uh, I think these issues are affecting women. And also we are looking at the aspect of rape and defilement. Now you see people are at home and uh, the perpetrators of these cases are usually men and they are at home, they have no jobs. So this confinement alone leaves women prone to things like violence, prone to things like defilement and rape, yes? And then some men have these frustrations when he's not able to fend for the family, when he's not able to provide, as the patriarchy says, he should be the only one providing. And most societies in our country still depend on the man to provide. Then he's going to lay out all these frustrations on the woman. At the end of the day, we have gender-based violence cases increasing. Now, these are issues that have been increasing at a high rate during COVID because people are at home. The abusers and the victims are all at home. That means they are going to be more more affected. There is a new wave of violence that is not like the usual. Yes, what has the government done? In the second wave, I would expect the government to implement some measures to protect women, some measures like decentralizing the permits. Yes, say the LC, the LC1 and those people on the local council, let them have the power to officiate permits, but you're giving it to only an RIDC. A woman is going to die because of labor, because she couldn't walk. A woman is going to die because she couldn't run to the police. We need to decentralize some of this power, which the government has really not looked into. And then the government is not punishing, punishing the rapists, because I know the government is not the one that punishes them directly, but the government has the, has the mandate to look after its citizens through ensuring that they get justice. Now you see people go to the police and the police alone, is full of rapists, it's full of abusers, it's full of people who are also frustrated by the system. And now that there is COVID, it's worse. People cannot even run to report to the police. Now, at the end of the day, the, the government has really not helped us in this aspect because it has not even pushed civil societies. Some civil societies have even failed because you know they cannot afford to move around. They, do, they are not essential workers. They cannot move around to help those communities that are struggling. So at the end of the day, I feel like the government talks a lot about gender equality and uh, protection of women, but then it never implements on this. And that is a big, big problem because women get abused. Over 44 women, over 44 rape cases are reported on a daily basis, yes? And these are just cases that are reported. Kids are getting pregnant. Last time when COVID had just started, over 300 young girls were pregnant. And our president said pregnancy is better than COVID or dying of COVID. I mean, if our own president thinks a young girl being raped and, and uh, getting pregnant is better than her catching COVID, it, it's quite painful because that shows you where his priorities lie. We are looking at protecting life. By the end of the day, these women are still going to die of maternal poor. They are going to die of labor. They are going to die through violence. They are going to die through childbirth because a young girl cannot give birth easily. Some do, but it's like the chance is really low. And at the end of the day, they get affected. So I'm looking at all these issues, and the government has not prioritized these issues. And women continue to be the vulnerable at this point. And since most of them don't even work, it gets worse because they, they have to depend on these very men that abuse them, on these very men that are raping them. So I think uh, I won't say the government has done much for women. It just talks about us and uh, moves on. Civil societies would be doing a great job, but they don't even have the passes to move around. So uh, I think on that aspect, the government has really failed us. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, and um, from 
not only has it failed there, but there are certain weaknesses that we have also seen in the Ministry of Education when it comes to, to now um, saying that, okay, COVID has happened, now let's do, make a plan for our students. And mm. as Robinson said before, now they're they are planning radios and, and on the surface, yes, we get the intention, but is as are those things we should really be doing and that and many other decisions that the Ministry mm -hmm. of Education have that Robinson is going to um, tell us more about uh, those weaknesses have, have really been like the app, like the kicker, like there's COVID itself, but the fact that there are these weaknesses are kind of adding more salt to the injury when it comes to recovery. So, Robinson, where do you think that Ministry of Education could have done better and should do better right now? Like, what are, where, where are they weak? First, first of all, the, the, I, I, have, I have never seen a conservative ministry, Ministry of Education, that we have at the moment. If you remember very well, the budget was passed in the middle of the second world. The people that we look up for, we look up to in leadership, are the people who discuss the budget of the pandemic, a second wave that is claiming more lives than never before. And the budgetary allocation that went to the Ministry of Education could show you how unserious officials in the Ministry of Education and Finance itself are. So literally, the Ministry of Education doesn't have a plan. Because at, at least last time we had the Ministry of Education saying we are going to have continued learning on TVs, we are going to give you radios, we are going to be providing these materials on, on, on our website. You know some of these things but the second lockdown is here for 42 days literally 49 because the president had a, had initially declared 42 then after about uh seven days he came and said another 42 of a total lockdown that's 49 days and the ministry hasn't yet come out to say anything in the second wave so they are not even bothered they are not even minding about anything we recently had a discussion as a deal president within the country and we decided to come up with a paper to present to the Ministry of Education. At least we tried to make sure we could give them a sense of direction that, look, it is about time we, we started thinking about changing the direction of our education system to see what the world thinks it should be having at the moment. Right now, we have a number of a number of people that are going to drop out. Ministry has not responded in any way. The quality of education that we are going to be giving out to our children and to our friends is going to be the the, the, the worst quality of education. On top of our education system being a bad one, the quality of the education we shall give them is going to be the worst in record, I must say. And now people are being laid off. Work. I'm a third year student, I'm a finalist, I'm supposed to have done my internship last year. I have failed to do my internship up to today. And whatever I'm learning at the moment is just for me to pass on and make sure time is moving. You know, the, the school is much more concerned about how do I finish this semester and they throw me out as a third year student and no one is minding about the quality of education that we are going to be getting. And worst of it all, the ministry is not concerned, is not bothered. So this is going to see a total failure in the education sector. At the moment, if you look at it very well, all the other sectors are running as normal. All these other places are moving on normally. Okay? But the education sector is completely down. It is off completely. We are off the grid. Nothing is happening. Private institutions are trying so hard to make sure that they pull up. 
but government institution that has the highest number of students. And the guts to pass on a budget and still no one the military the military share of the budget. We even have COVID at hand, but the issue of health, the same way has been treating it even before. COVID was there. This shows you that no one is bothered. So even if tomorrow we wake up and realize that the education sector cannot run anymore, <laughs> no one no one should be shocked because that's what they want. Private institutions are being sold to, 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 to other people and they, they, there is transfer of students from one school to another because the school cannot now accommodate these students. We have a, a very large number of teachers who are employed in these government institutions and at the moment, uh, government institutions don't have access to funding. They have only the accounts that are open are only salary accounts and the rest of the accounts that could give these teachers allowances and the rest of the money that could sustain their living is down. No one is bothered. The lecturers who are supposed to lecture these students are supposed to be facilitated in terms of these equipments. If a student cannot afford to buy a phone, a lecturer deep down has never, I mean, a teacher deep down in Moroto has never held a smartphone in his hands. But this teacher, students in Kampala to students in Moroto, students in Abim, students in Soroti, students in every part of the country. It just shows you how I'm serious. These guys are not bothered. Not at all. I, I see us aiding into a, a, a position where the education sector will have nothing to do other than just, you know, just abandon this, this, this academic year and say, let's start afresh because it has been messed up. And if at all we were knowing that they are silent at the moment and trying to develop a new curriculum for the schools in the entire country, we would be happy. But I think this is not even being done. It's not at all being thought of. So I, I am uncertain of what the future of education is myself. I don't even know. So I, I, I am just as, as everyone else. But I actually think our government should have done much better this second wave because they had learned a lot of things before. But what we are seeing right now, it seems they learned nothing and forgot nothing they learned. So yeah, we are going to have the same thing happening. We are going to see that effect now coming. It's like all the governments, all the government ministries are sort of having that same panic response and the Ministry of Finance is choosing to strong arm and still hand security heavily and a lot of of, 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 of people are, are not happy with that because at the end of the day for a country that's called the world's youngest country the priority of government spending should be at, towards those people not only to their health but to their development because 20 years along the road, being the world's youngest population changes into the population with the largest workforce. And this education, this Ministry of Education during a spanner in the works of that just makes it so hard for us to become a meaningful work, work, working population that can contribute. And what the Ministry of Finance and other government ministries uh, where, where they're choosing to put their priorities is, is, is not very, very, it's already bad that we are seeing so little going to hell. In the, this is a disaster. This is not. Yeah. This yeah, is I, a disaster. Like, you can't just. So in the future of uh, the young people in the country at the moment. But trust me. This time round, if Uganda does not invest in the future of the youth in terms of going digital and making sure they embrace the internet of things and making sure we adopt, we put that in every sector that we are going to be going in. We are going to produce the most useless generation of young people 
in the entire continent as time goes on, if this doesn't change right now. So they should focus their attention on making sure we are on top. So yeah. uh, there are a lot of young people. The good thing about Uganda, Uganda youth is that we have lots of ideas. We have, even us as students, we can see a myriad of ways of doing this better than our current government. So what, as students, what do you feel the government should actually start working on? If you could give some examples of areas where they immediately should stop what they're doing and run there, and start putting investment and help and service provision, where should they go right now so that we can recover? Okay. Diana, you might Oh, Diana. Oh, it's Diana. Okay. Yes, yes. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we need to look at, uh, Mr. Owang has already talked about uh, education. So I'm going to look more at the health sector See, capitalism is having a field day with the health sector. I mean, hospitals are overcharging. And then the government hospitals don't have facilities. These are things that should have been planned. And uh, the head of state came to us during, uh, during those national prayers, which were our, our answer to COVID. Uh, he came to present to us and he told us, he, he literally denied denied any liability he said you know he told the minister and madame diana to purchase more beds to purchase more oxygen but they did not listen to him so he literally relieved himself of any liability he left it to them that alone shows you that there is no accountability in the health sector because if the head of state has no idea at all and what is happening in some of these ministries it's uh very problematic now you see there is possible deniability on his behalf because you know we, we are not so sure if he didn't know and uh, i cannot insinuate that he knew but well we move we move on uh i feel like the accountability is not there that's why capitalism is having a a field day in our hospitals because hospitals are overcharging people and no one is telling them, you know, charge, remember people are in a pandemic, why would you charge someone 5 million? And that is on deposit. That's just on deposit and it's not even taking them for the whole day. I'd rather for the, for the whole like a week, it's taking them for just a day. You're charging people that much money. Even this new discovered medicine, the COVIDx. COVIDx was at around 8K sometime. It was even at 10K sometime. And right now COVIDx is about 300 if there are some people selling it at 300k or 300,000 right now. I read somewhere and it was being sold uh, approximately $100. That's a lot of money. That's almost 400,000. You realize that the government does not come in to say, you know what, let's regulate what is happening. People are in a pandemic, they do not have money, but you're also making it hard for them to access health services. You're making it hard for them to even purchase the things that they should be able to get. And how are they making it hard? The government is very silent. And by being silent, that means it is endorsing whatever people are doing. People can literally wake up and you know, decide a price and that is what we shall go with because our government is very, very quiet. It's not trying. The private sector is very quiet. The health ministry is very quiet. People are dying because there is no oxygen in hospitals. This is the second wave. We would expect hospitals to have prepared for people. There was a lot of money that came through during the first wave. People were, were, were contributing, but there is no accountability for that money. Yes, and there's been a lot of swindling of uh, these funds, but no one comes out to say, you know, no one, no one comes out to hold anyone accountable. And I partly blame Ugandans for this. We are way too comfortable. We are so, so comfortable with what is happening in our country. You see someone does not have what to eat at home, but we are very, very quiet. Now, I know most times speaking out does not help us as much, but then we are also so comfortable. People fear speaking out nowadays because of you know different factors. But uh, I think, as Ugandans, we need to start speaking out. We need to demand 
for accountability. These people are our servants, they are serving us, but then they're exploiting us at the end of the day. So I feel like uh, we need to first demand for accountability. If our president knows that he has no, he does not know what is going on in the Ministry of Health, that means the ministers are going to do as they want, and these are people who work for him. So I would expect our president to be the first person to understand what is happening. Yes. Uh, so I feel like the the health sector should be focused more on because people are really dying, people are being exploited, and and even the workers, government workers are not even being paid. I rather health workers are not being paid as they should be. These people are risking their lives. They are they are literally on the front line again, and this time it's worse. I mean, so many people are dying. Every day there is someone who is dying and uh, someone is risking their lives, but even the money they pay them does not give them the morale to look after patients effectively. So at the end of the day, I feel like the Ministry of Health is being underlooked a lot. And yes, again, like Mr. Wang had said, the Ministry of Education. Now, uh, at UCU, well, for me, I finished my, my third year, this uh, previous semester, and now I'm waiting for my fourth year. And I know that I'm going to study it, whether online or not, I'm going to study it in the due time. And I might be able to graduate in the time I'm supposed to graduate. That's because I can actually go online, I can afford to get some data. But then you see you went ahead, it's a private institution, so it, know, it assumes most of us can afford to study online. So it said, uh, if you cannot afford to study online, get a dead year. You know, that is the most insensitive thing that has happened. But again, don't blame them. The school year has to move on. So I feel like Uganda alone was not ready for the lockdown. They just imposed it on us and did not give us any measures to help us survive in the lockdown. They just said, you know what, we are going to provide your lives. We don't care what happens with your livelihood. Forgetting that the livelihood at the end of the day informs the lives. Yes, people. People are, are, cannot access education, people cannot access health care, but you're telling them, you know, you're protecting them from COVID. That's why you see recently there was a man on Twitter who went to work and the police was chasing him away. And the man said, you know what, I have a, I have children, I have a wife who has just given birth, I don't have what to feed them. What do you people expect me to do at home? Because no one has given, they are saying they will give us relief. And by looking at the vulnerable, <laughs> which is a, uh, Another way of saying they are going to have a lot of ghost vulnerables and that money might never even reach anyone because I mean, we are used to what our government is and uh, I don't mean to insinuate these factors, but we all know that with the way they, even the criteria alone is very flawed to the extent that we are going to have a lot of ghost vulnerables who end up being the same people working in the government embezzling this money and swindling it because no one is going to hold them accountable how are they going to know that this one is the vulnerable and they were saying your account shouldn't have sent about um, either 500,000 shillings which is a very unreasonable threshold so i think there's a lot of there are a lot of problems and i feel like we are, we don't take them seriously at all and ugandans are very quiet they don't demand for accountability as much as they should and uh, as I finish on this one, uh, I think the president also needs to step up, although I do not have the capacity to tell him that right now, but I pray that at least he steps up. He cannot keep giving us national prayers as a measure for combating COVID. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, so she has really, really spoken about her what the government should should do and pull up its socks. So we, we're not really, we are pressed on time. So I'm just going to let Robinson just give a parting shot of what us as students, we can do right now. We know the situation is bad and if factors remain constant, it's not about to get better. So what can we as students do to kind of Hello? Leon? Yes, I can hear you. First, repeat your, your question. I, say, I asked <laughs> what we can do as students if things remain constant or they get worse and the administration doesn't change anything. What can we do as students to sort of 
survives through this. Um, you see, at the moment, after realizing that no one pays attention to what happens to RAS, uh, the, the, the people who should drive this country in the future, we, we should take it upon ourselves to, to make sure the knowledge, whatever knowledge we can get to help us survive in the near future, even after COVID. The post-COVID period is not going to be an easy one. And uh, Uganda alone understands that COVID has affected the way we are going to be doing things. Now, those who are only going to survive are people who have made the best use of this time that they have at home to learn new skills. Because at the moment, people are employing people not because of what they studied in school. They're employing you for what you can bring on table. And what you can bring on table, you don't literally get them from class. It's only professionals like the lawyers and the doctors that we must know that they went to school and they studied. But the rest of us who, who are into business, we do our own things. We have to make sure we take every little opportunity that we have to learn some new skills and get everything we can do online. Now, this is the time that we should embrace IT. And if we can have support from government in any way that we can to to, to, to promote the use of ICT in doing a lot of things, then this is what we should do. There are a lot of organizations out there and companies that are waiting for people to develop things for them. Can we take this opportunity and learn new things? Then we start coming up with solutions to the problems that businesses are now facing at the moment. Even the problem that the country is facing of producing the beds, the hospital beds itself, Government is importing this from out, but we have students who are doing uh, engineering. They're doing all these uh, metal fabrication and all that, but they cannot produce a simple bomb. So we are waiting for government to provide some of these things to us, yet we can provide this. This is what the president talks about each and every day, that we have folded our hands. And he continuously says that we Ugandans love sleeping so much, which is true. We can actually solve something as well. But then we, we, are, we are not doing what it takes. We are waiting for government to come through. So as the youth that looks at the future as an opportunity for us to do whatever we have to do, can we take up these places at the moment? If we can organize ourselves, can we present these ideas to government so they give us the support? I told you about us writing a letter to the ministry. We did this and when we, when we were taking the letter, was stopped on the way, but we told them what we, were, what we are doing right now is going to save the lives of 1,683 students who are stuck in different hostels across the county. So you can be stopping me as an individual, but there are people behind there who need these services. Now, if people who can do metal fabrication and get these beds fixed can't even come up to say, let's do this for the country, all we need is material, give it to us, we shall do this. Then we are going to wait. Banking systems at the moment, all of them need to be digital. They all need to go online. If these schools are looking at going online to teach their children, their students and all that, what solution do we provide as people or as students who are doing ICT? If you're doing medicines, if you're doing law, what can you do in this period of time that can change the entire on doing some things? So as students, I think this 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 window that we have at the moment that we are home should give us time about what we can really do for ourselves and what we can do for the country. Otherwise, if we are going to stay the other side of the book and constantly complain about the failures of the government, it is going to cost us. Recently, I had a discussion with someone and uh, I, I, I shared this with the patriotism, the patriotism meeting that we had. And we realized that one tourist that comes into the country to spend about $2,000 a week in the tourism sector is better than an entire village in most of the districts that we have in the country. 
because this directly contributes to the financial basket or the revenue of the country directly but where it comes from we have we could be having about six villages or my very own village that then is constantly engaging themselves in subsidy and these are people who never buy soap they don't buy salt you know they, they they don't take sugar to say they are going to be paying tax indirectly but they are the people crying out for services so much and we have the elites the we who went to school who should be helping transform the societies the students are going back to these communities we are also complaining with them so the value of the education you actually have is not even there so i believe in the fight for covid that has been led by students we are the solution to this covid pandemic we are students because we don't want to do but we are reluctant and redundant we don't want to do anything about it so i really urge my fellow youth to come out it, it takes just one step for you to move in the right direction in fighting this covid and inviting many other people to do just that simple thing at home so let's use this time very well and come up with new ideas and learn new skills do whatever we are supposed to do and we we, we are going to take it we we are, we are at the end of the day we are going to win these people are dying they're going to be dying soon but their worry is what's the kind of generation and what's the kind of people we are leaving behind so we need to step up our game and move on uh my my sister about Ugandans being so comfortable where they are, it's true. I personally started a podcast and uh, I, I normally talk about paying attention to details. I want to use this as an opportunity to make sure Ugandans start paying attention to what really matters to them. Other than drinking, you know, having fun, throwing birthday parties and focusing on things that does not help the country at all. I, I think that that's for me. And it's very important that whoever is listening to this, whoever knows anyone, if like in the youth with you are youth yourself, that these problems are inherent the things that if we unite and come together and sit down and associate, we can get our voices out there. One person shouting on social media or making a podcast doesn't do much. But when one person sees that and gets the message, now you have two people who are showing four people who change and show six people. So it's a snowball effect and it only works when we are alert. So you just need to realize that you're Ugandan, not, and because you're Ugandan, you aren't fake. There's that mentality that everything in Uganda is bad. You, by just being Ugandan, creative and innovative and you are sociable and you're able to cooperate with other people yeah so as students as much as this is affecting our education we should look to new ways not only to educate ourselves but to become the sort of productive workforce that we are supposed to become that is supposed to change so i just want to thank diana and robinson for Uh, coming in for this podcast it's the first of many and we, we also want to give a shout out to, to, to all the fans to listen to Robinson's podcast um, it's really good uh, I intend to just binge it the whole night and um, yeah you should listen to everyone who is putting out a podcast now because if you're not learning this is basically the best education you're going to be receiving for this work that is not news, that's boring. It's just students talking to other students. So um, thank you guys for coming. Uh, new ones, last ones. Uh, thank you, Leon, for having me, for having us. I've learned a lot. Uh, thank you, Mr. Robinson, for your, your, your input. I've learned a lot from you. Um, you know, I'm impressed, really. I had never heard you speak, so I am really impressed. And uh, <laughs> thank you very much for having us. And I hope 
we do better as a country. Robinson, I think you wanted to give another conclusion. You gave us a very nice <laughs> ending. <laughs> You know, I, I just want to uh, I just want to thank everyone who is listening to this, and uh, also urge you that I, I actually want to challenge you that you are our biggest problem. You listening to this, you are our biggest problem. And if you don't act, if you don't act, we are going to lose it. And trust me, we shall have no option of losing you. Put this on to fire. Thank you and take care of yourself. Please spread the message. COVID is real, it's killing people, and don't die among the many. At least be among the few who will remain to tell the story and change this nation. Thank you so much. So, thank you for listening to this podcast for God and my country.